This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury and this is Matt Splained. And today we're all aboard the privacy train on Matt Splained. Who do other people think you are? Uh, where are they getting their information from? And what are they doing with it? Um, Matt, does this have, you know, anything to do with Twitter? Yeah, but I'd like to go back to that question. Who do you think you are? <laughs> uh, there's a few songs in there, isn't there? Yeah, there are. There are. Um, no, but the, the Twitter thing, um, I guess there's kind of an indirect link, um, but it's more about returning to a, a topic that we did cover quite a lot a few years ago. In fact, yeah. it was kind of a recurring theme. And that was our relationship with the big tech companies. Uh, it was around the time of the Cambridge Analytica scandal and, of course, the documentary that came out, The Big Hack, yeah. which told the story of how data companies can use our information to track and monitor us. So today is kind of an update on that, partly because of what's happening with Twitter, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. but also because John Oliver covered it on his Last Week Tonight show. So where it intersects with Twitter is in those stated aims that Elon Musk has about uh, making the Twitter algorithm open. And the idea is that by doing this, anyone can customize the feed to their preferences. Now, how that will actually coexist with things like, you know, ads and sponsored content. Of course, that still remains to be seen. And where are we with the uh, Twitter acquisition at the moment? Well, I mean, just to be clear, in case anyone is listening and is sick to death of podcasts about Musk and Twitter, <laughs> um, today's episode is about, you know, you, me, us, however you want to frame it. It's not about Musk or Twitter. And we will... Uh, look at uh, some of the issues surrounding uh, all of these uh, uh, these things. Uh, hopefully it might even be empowering uh, mm -hmm. and give you, you know, a bit more ability to control what people are doing with your data online. That said, um, going back to Twitter for a bit, uh, Tesla's share price is still pretty volatile, suggesting mm -hmm. that Investors still aren't sure what to make of this takeover of the company and, of course, uh, how they think he actually intends to commit his uh, time to Twitter. Now, do you think he's likely to take on a, a leadership position in the, the C-suite over at Twitter? Oh, listen to us talking like proper business journalists. Oh, hello. Um, no, there have been reports over the past few weeks that uh, he might take on the role as uh, interim CEO, uh, but he's also announced that the takeover could take uh, quite a number of months to complete. Mm -hmm. uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, we've seen a, a deal uh, being put into place and Musk's financial exposure has been slightly reduced. Additional investors have signed on to the consortium uh, that's backing his uh, takeover. Mm. And, you know, we have to remember that some of the loan guarantees that Musk is making are backed by those shares he has in Tesla. Yeah. So the more the company stock dives or the more it remains unstable, the more shares he has to pledge to 
keep those lenders happy. Yeah. Uh, there are also questions about the amount of debt that Twitter itself would be loaded with after the takeover, something in the region of about $14 billion, if I read that correctly. Ooh. And uh, of course, uh, people are also unsettled by this week's announcement uh, that he would reinstate Donald Trump uh, and also that he thinks that Twitter's staff uh, may be too politically left-leaning. So none of this is really helping to calm the situation around this takeover, uh, especially on top of last week's announcement by the company itself that it does expect the takeover to have an impact on income mm. because advertisers are worried that looser content moderation rules could lead to uh, reputational risks for them if they advertise on a platform that they fear could become more toxic in terms of bullying, harassment, hate speech, you know, all the nice things that we go to Twitter for. Yeah. Uh, and what about the Digital Services Act over in Europe? Yeah. Um, quickly before um, this does become another Twitter episode. So Musk met with a guy called Thierry Breton, who is the internal market commissioner for the EU. Now, this guy wanted to explain the rules of the new Digital Services Act and what it would mean for Twitter in terms of actively protecting users in Europe and, of course, limiting the ability of one user to harm others, mm -hmm. to which Musk replied uh, in a video that was inevitably tweeted by Breton that he was entirely aligned with the EU's position. Uh, just a couple more questions then. Who, who's likely to win in any confrontation between Musk and the EU over rights and fines, uh, user freedoms? My money's on the EU for a really simple reason. It has the kind of bureaucracy that just defies any yeah. attempt to overcome it. You know, yeah, whatever yeah. you do, there's a clause that puts you in the wrong. Uh, Franz Kafka might not have written a single sentence if the EU had existed during his lifetime. He might just have thought, no, this bureaucracy can't be beaten. Um, yeah, yeah. And the guy that Musk met with, that internal market commissioner, mm -hmm. what is that? If you can't even figure out the title of the person who's come to brief you, how can you hope to fight or push back against them? Mm -hmm. You know, we often say there's nothing you can't do if you're wealthy enough, but there really are two things. One is EU regulations, and the second is the US tax code. Right, These are yeah. things that cannot be defeated. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not really into the idea of a, a higher power, um, but those are the two that I'd put my money on if someone forced me. Um, so there we go. Half of the first half gone, and it's all about Elon. Okay. Let's change something up then, and uh, let's, you know, people smell something other than Elon's Musk. Um, the wider topic for today is big tech, uh, social media, and the products they're selling, of course. I wish I could remember where I read this quote that I'm about to paraphrase so that I could give the writer the credit they deserve. But it was along the lines of when we see or click on a targeted ad and buy something, we're essentially having our own data sold back to us mm. at a massive profit to all the companies uh, concerned. And I really like that analogy. You know, there are multiple ways that companies obtain marketing information about us, which we'll get into later. Mm -hmm. And it's information that, by and large, we freely give, which is then sold from party to party until it's eventually sold back to us in the form of goods and services. Great, hey? Um, 
I think we've got to address that freely given part before we move on, though. No, that that's true because it is really important. So when I say freely given, that doesn't necessarily mean knowingly. You might not know that you've agreed to hand over your information, but you have. Uh, you know, these days we're more knowledgeable about our transactions with uh, social media companies, for example. Mm. Um, we know that they use everything we post and comment on to better understand us, our habits, our behaviors, hobbies, interests, life choices, gender, sexuality, you know, whatever. Um, and we're either good with that or we aren't, you know, mm -hmm. um, simples, as the meerkat says. Yeah. It gets less clear what we're agreeing to when we click that agree to all button on the websites that we visit. Uh, you're talking about the uh, this site uses cookies kind of disclaimer thing. Yeah, so most of us are far too busy to click that Manage Preferences tab. Right. Uh, mostly, uh, if it's a site that we want some information from, we click yes, off we go. We don't give it a second thought because we're probably mm. only going to be on the site for you know 30 seconds to 120 seconds. Mm -hmm. Especially when the banner says something like, this site uses cookies to serve you better. And that is true. You know, the sites want you to come back. So the cookies do things like saving your preferences. Uh, it does useful things like save where on the page you are, especially on the landing page. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I guess you're probably the same, you know, often jumping in and out of news sites. And it's really annoying when you have to scroll through from the top every time you hit the back button. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just easier to accept those cookies because, you know, it bookmarks my position on the page so that I can carry on browsing through. I'm, I'm glad that you didn't actually ask me what a cookie was. <laughs> well, and set you up for an answer like, it's great as an afternoon snack. Um, I haven't lived down your whole toxic masculinity slurs yet that you threw at me last week. You're painting a, a horrible picture of me. Well, are, are you surprised? You made me look horrible last week. Pure salamander or slander <laughs> or whatever that word is. Um, those, those consent forms on those cookies disclaimers, they often include an agreement to let third-party companies track you as you mm. wander around the internet. Uh, we all have those moments where we think that big tech is listening to us. You know, we're having a conversation with someone and ads related to that conversation suddenly appear on the sites that we visit. Yeah, but on an earlier show, you said that was largely a coincidence. In part, it is. I mean, there's that element of serendipity. Uh, our conversations are usually about things that are going on in the world around us, and our behaviors are not as unique as we think they are. So mm. there is that element of convergence. You know, it's the zeitgeist just slapping us on the back and saying, hello. <laughs> um, but it's also because we probably heard about that thing we were discussing somewhere else. We mm -hmm. saw it um, on our news feed. We saw it on a site somewhere. So very often the chicken does come before the egg. The cookies pick up on the fact that we're interested in that topic. So they're already primed to present us with sympathetic ads. The serendipity has actually preceded the conversation. So the cookies are looking into the future? Well, that's kind of the way that it appears. You know, it's yeah. like the auto-suggestion thing of saying, oh, your nose is itchy or you need to shiver. You know, how many people listening to this just shivered? Uh, it's radio, you know, we'll never know unless you exercise your Musk-protected free speech and tweet us. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know about Twitter, but I think this show could be classed as uh, hate speech sometimes. Ah, but I'm a misanthrope, so it's equal opportunities hate, so that's (laughs) forgivable. And as much as we all dislike the idea of being tracked and surveilled online, we have to balance that uh, with our expectations. You know, most of us don't click on the links that are served to us as ads. I can't remember what the actual percentage is, but it's low. You know, Mm. it's like single digit percentages Mm. enough for the company's concern to make money from selling us stuff but not necessarily enough for the average site to actually cover its costs and certainly as users we don't want to pay them any subscriptions you know we're purely pandas in this model what what do you mean purely pandas i I, i'm gonna regret this aren't i Eats, shoots, and leaves. Oh, um, God, Matt. <laughs> not, not everyone is, uh, you know, Facebook or Google. So these trackers, um, you know, signing deals with third-party data miners, this is how organizations survive online. Mm. This is one of those misconceptions about the ad-funded business model. The ads are targeted, so to target, you need data. Mm-hmm. You might see an ad and click on it on one site, but the data that came to bring that ad to you has actually come from multiple sources. Right, right. So we tend to think that when we click on an ad, the money goes to the site that hosts it, which is true, but it doesn't explain the ecosystem Mm -hmm. and the spread of money that allowed that ad to be put in front of you in the first place. And this is the money that helps to fund all of those other sites that we visit. I mean, I've successfully waffled away half of the show already. So in the second half, I want to look more deeply into this idea of us being the product and look at some of the ways that data companies can exploit that fact. Okie dokie. Fair enough. Um, You are the product. More on that when we come back. You tune in to Matt Splaint here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Before Friday materializes, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Matt's Plained. Matt, we were talking about um, cookies just before the break. How does this tie into that idea of the consumer as the product? So we talked about all those websites that we go to and click on, uh, you know, we click on the cookies pop-up thing, the disclaimer. Mm. Uh, Some of the cookies and trackers on those sites are, you know, relatively benign. Mm -hmm. As I said, some might simply register the fact that you've signed into your account and it loads up your preferences. Mm. If it's on a, a, a commerce site, it allows the site's algorithm to present you with stuff that it thinks you might like mm-hmm. and keeps all the stuff that you've selected but not actually purchased yet in that shopping basket. Uh, a commerce site might also want to track where else on the internet you go, again, so it can present you with stuff to buy that it thinks you might want. Now, whether you consider that benign or intrusive, Again, that's a personal decision on your part. Uh, I tried to find out if there's an average number of cookies on websites. Um, Some of the places I went to said it was around 20, but you know, you can go to one site and there are only one or two, and on another, there are absolutely dozens. So effectively, that kind of average is pretty much meaningless. 
Um, is it hard to find out how many cookies might be on a particular site and, and whether they're tracking you? It's actually surprisingly hard. You know, given the proliferation of free information on the web, this is a service that you pretty much are forced to pay for because huh. this is the model that allows you to enjoy all the free stuff. Right. A lot of those cookies and trackers will belong to third-party companies. Those companies may be data brokers. They may be companies that are selling your information on to data brokers. If you want to find out how many cookies are on your browser right now, you can check quite easily. Go to the privacy tab in your preferences. Now, obviously, it depends a little bit on what uh, browser you're using. So you might want to Google that, which will expose you to more cookies and trackers. Yeah. But, you know, that's the irony. Um, but once you do that, there'll be a list of all the cookies on your computer. Now, I checked mine uh, just before I came on air, on my browser, there are hundreds, potentially thousands. There would, I mean, I couldn't even go through the list. Uh, some of them are identifiable by name. So, you mm -hmm. know, you've got your YouTubes, your Facebook, all of that kind of thing. But most of them seem to have kind of random names or nonsense signifiers, which makes it harder to figure out where they came from and what they do. Right. Now, of course, on most browsers, you can just delete all the cookies. But that means starting from scratch with all those sites you visit. You've got to log back into all of them. You've got to go through that process if you can be bothered managing those cookies mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and who has the time or the patience. Um, but there is actually a massively overlooked but probably even more significant source of cookies and trackers that we use on a daily basis. The apps on our phones and our tablets and thingies. Yeah, exactly. Especially the free ones. Um, mm. Again, free is not free. If you're enjoying something on the internet without paying for it, it's generally for a simple reason. You are the commodity that that site or that app is selling. You're mm -hmm. not the user. You're not the consumer. The companies that they sell your information to are the customers. And you are the product that those customers are buying. Mm -hmm. And if you think, well, you know, what information can a free Torch app tell marketers about me? Well, it can harvest your device ID, your operating system, the screen size, your location data, date, time, a lot of information like that, which can all be used as identifiers. I, I guess that's one of the issues here then. You know, how easy is it to reverse engineer supposedly anonymous data? Surprisingly easy. I mean, I'm not going to go through all the examples. I'd refer you to that John Oliver show I mentioned at the start. He covers that in a lot of detail. Location data can be incredibly specific. It can pin you down to a very small area of land, or as we also call it, your house. Right. Uh, couple that with dates and times plus the routes you take to go to places, and you can be cross-matched through the simple process of going from home to work. It doesn't take that much effort to figure out, you know, how often do you enter your address and information about the industry you work in on sites you visit on the internet. Once marketers have that information, matching it to that anonymous data is really easy. But... Um if all this information is in fragments, how can that bigger picture about us be built up? Because this chain of transactions is actually incredibly opaque. Um, the app or website that uh, you were using or visited might have good intentions. It sells the information onto what it considers to be an honest broker. 
That mm. honest broker then sells it to other marketing companies and on and on and on along the chain so that you essentially have no idea where that data is ending up. You know, those huge lists that internet scammers have, the information has to start somewhere. And we yeah. generally assume that it's from data breaches and the dark web. But actually, it's far easier to simply buy it legitimately, especially if you're running a business that has uh, legal operations or a veneer of legality attached to it as well. Okay. Let's stay legal and, and legitimate just for a minute. Um, paint a picture of how a company might target us with ads or emails. Well, we'll take the example of someone who has health issues just because it's quite a simple and transparent example. Mm. Um, now, that person may start receiving targeted emails or ads that are related to their condition. Now, our suspicion will automatically fall on doctors, hospitals, insurers, you know, the people with access to our medical records. Right. And it is possible that someone inside those companies is stealing and selling data, but it's actually the less likely option. Uh, medical records are highly regulated in most countries, so it's too big a risk for uh, a big insurer or a hospital to be selling mm -hmm. it on. And obviously, they have reputational incentives to keep your information safe. So they are looking for members of staff who might be leaking this information. Mm -hmm. So the more obvious and likely point of information leakage is the product of all that data, us. So you mean the devices really are listening? Well, they don't have to. I mean, we are sieves. Um, the, the chances are, if you're diagnosed with a condition, you will go off on a sustained internet spree. You look up uh. medications and their side effects. You look for different treatment regimes, different outcomes. You might look for support groups or uh, services in your area. Yeah. You might try and find out how good the specialists are in your area. Will you need to travel for treatment and where will you travel to mm -hmm. and you'll be going to that huge repository of free information that is the internet to find all of that out but many of those sites will be passing on those snippets of information you know what drugs you're searching for um what side effects you uh, or what side effects or um symptoms you might be uh, showing. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're selling that information to companies that are building a picture about you that they then sell back to you in the form of goods and services related to that illness. But that doesn't explain how they get your email or your phone number. But you have to look at how the data harvesters work. So you might sign up for a newsletter on some of the sites you go to for info. You know, they'll give you things like, do you want updates on any breakthroughs in the research in this? So you might even give them your phone number too. Mm. And generally, uh, people forget to uncheck that box that gives permission for your personal details to be shared with select third parties. I mean, right, there's right. usually something phrased like that. Yeah. And they don't necessarily need your email directly. So one of the examples that was used uh, by John Oliver, um, I'm not going to name the, the company, watch the program, you can do it yourself. Now, um, Oliver claimed that one of his researchers visited uh, the site of this company, and it's a reputable company, and received an email from the company that basically said, hey, do you wonder how we got your email to send you this? Well, that's one of the services we offer. Wow. Now, 
I went to that same site. I clicked around for quite a while and I still haven't had an email from them. So I don't know what that says about me. Um, <laughs> but uh, among their services, their listed services are identifying anonymous users and matching mobile device IDs with email addresses. Wow. And like I said, they're actually one of the reputable players in this market. Okay. Uh, uh, as usual, uh, with Matt's playing, we seem to be running out of time halfway through the topic. I keep telling you, turn BFM over to me. Matt's playing 24-7. It would be a <laughs> rating sensation. Imagine an infinite Cadbury's cream egg. That's what I could turn this station into. Um, I had actually wanted to talk about things like decentralized social media today as well and how it could be one solution to some of the issues uh, uh, of, you know, how porous our behavior is online, but I'll have to come back to that in a, now, another show. Why is all of this legal? Because we don't want to pay for stuff. Um, so the internet had to invent a convoluted funding system in which we're the product of the sites that we visit. Uh, legislate against that system, and a lot of the content we look at and the apps we use just disappear. Not to mention that the system itself is useful to governments. You know, why go through all the process of uh, getting subpoenas or whatever you need to tap and trace people when mm. you can go and buy the information and build your profile on someone? Uh, from these third-party companies with no legal invasion of privacy. Not to mention, as uh, John Oliver points out, politicians in many countries make use of this highly, uh, highly targeted data um, during election cycles to reach right. out to electors and to get themselves elected. All right, all right, fair, fair enough. So how do we protect ourselves then? Well, first, I think you just have to assume that your data is leaching out when you're online. Every time you go online, you're losing information to third parties. Have that in your head whenever you use an app or a site. You know, think, what is this taking from me? And who could be using that information? I'm not even going to bother with the let's pay for the things that we visit online because, you know, no one wants to and they're not going to. Right. Um, Next, you know, are you using a device that protects you? Uh, one of the main phone makers that uh, doesn't make Androids is vocally more aggressive about privacy. Their phones allow you to block apps that are trying to track you and just go to the privacy settings to do that. Now, how effective that privacy policy is open to interpretation. You can also protect yourself with uh, browsers like DuckDuckGo that uh, block trackers as much as possible. And you can also use VPN services that both disguise your location and often include these third-party tracker blocking software as well. Mm. But if you're looking at VPNs, you know, you do have to choose carefully. Not only are they not created equally, some may work better for your needs than others. So you do generally have to try a few before you buy. And this is one area, don't use the free ones. You have right. to buy. Yeah. Um, well, it's not a very bright picture, is it? Well, you know, that could be my epitaph. Um, but uh, I'll leave you with another example from last week tonight. So Oliver's team engaged in a perfectly legal phishing scam to bait and identify US politicians and lawmakers from anonymized data points. So in the past, data leaks concerning politicians themselves in the US, uh, especially with regard to 
any media they consume, like, you know, what films they watch, what mm. sites they go to online, have led to rapidly tightened regulations that uh, protect their privacy and, of course, everyone else's. So perhaps what he's done will work this time too. That could be an example. Uh, until then, you know, I think we just have to accept that we're shilling our soul for services one data point at a time. Wow. Um, okay. Thanks for that, Matt. <laughs> My pleasure. Always happy to be a ray of sunshine. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, and if you you know want to hunt Matt down, uh, you can actually find him fairly easily on Instagram and Twitter at Culture Matt, or subscribe to the Culture Pop newsletter on Substack for more information about these shows. And if you miss any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast. You can head over to the BFM website and get it there, or you can listen back to it on the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.